You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 1. Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith, and if you will listen to the words, of equal privilege with ours, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, before we read the rest of the text, I want to talk really quickly about the word knowledge. In the Greek, there are two words for the word knowledge. There is gnosis and then there's epinosis. Gnosis literally means the intellectual understanding of knowledge. So it's just things that I know. But it's translated in English as knowledge. Epinosis literally means the experiential knowledge. So it's intellectual knowledge plus the experience of. That's also translated as the word knowledge in Scripture. Paul uses the word epinosis more than gnosis. So when Paul writes the word knowledge, and in this text where Peter writes the word knowledge, he's not just saying, hey, for those, I want you guys to know more things about God, or I want you to know more, even know more Scripture about God. He's saying, I'm, I'm hoping you guys not only know about God in your head, but you know about God in your heart because you know about God in your life. So when Peter's talking about this, he's saying, I'm hoping that you guys, I'm praying that you guys, I want grace and peace to be multiplied to you guys in such a way that you experience God in your life. That you do see Him work, and that you do feel Him work, and that you do know His work beyond just your head, but also in your heart. And so when you see the word knowledge in the next few texts, that's what Peter is talking about. He's not just talking about knowing the Bible. He's talking about experiencing the truths and the promises of the Bible. Now, the context of this is going to make it make much more sense for us. Verse 3. Please listen to the beauty of these words. This is is profound truth that Peter is saying. It's incredible. For his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. Just look at that again, verse 3. For his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter is saying, you have everything you need to live the life that God has called you to live. His divine power, His Holy Spirit inside of you has been given to you and you can live the way God has asked you to live. You can. You can live a life of holiness. You can live a life of purity. You can live a life of godliness. You can live a life that looks very different from the rest of the world and the way it lives, which is why He says to you, you may escape the corruption of the world. You have inside of you and I have inside of me, Peter says, you have everything you need to live the life, the godly, holy, beautiful, good life. And you have it because of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So joy and peace that you long for, you have inside of you, whether you feel it or not. And so he says, now what I want you to do is to know that joy and peace. I don't want you to just know about it in your head. I want you to know it in your life. In the middle of your chaos, I want you to know it. Because you have it inside of you. The self-control that you like, I want you to know it. Not just know that you have it. I want you to know it by the way you live your life and feel it and experience it because you have it inside of you. Everything we need has been given to us because of what Christ has done. 
That's why it's all grace. Everything we need. And that's what he says. He says it came not because you did something to earn it. It came not because you deserved it. It came because of his own glory and his own goodness. Jesus is just good. And so he gives us what we lack. We read last week that God's commands, that keeping his commands is how we love them. And John had the audacity to say that his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome because the power to live out that life is already within us. Everything we need, church. To love your spouse the way you know you need to. The power is in you through the Spirit. To love your children the way you need to. The power is in you through the Spirit. For me to manage my finances the way I need to. The power is in me through the Spirit. For me to love my son and my wife, my neighbor... The power is in me through the Spirit. For me to have less of an anger issue, the power's within me through the Spirit. All of that is within you. All of that is within you. And he says, I want you to know it. He says, verse 4, by these, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature. That is a bold statement. That God has made precious promises because of what he's done. And that if we really experience these promises, then in some way, when it says you share in the divine nature, I'm going to sound real blasphemous for a minute because it's something that's very maybe odd for some of us. He's saying so that you can share in the life of God, so that you can participate in the life of God. For some of us, that's a very odd thing to think about and say because we talk about following God and serving God and worshiping God, and we should because he's God. But what Peter is saying is you can even participate in the life of God. The goodness of God, you can enjoy God. You hear me say enjoy God a lot. This is what it means, so you can enjoy God. So that God is not just someone you worship and serve and follow, but he's also someone you enjoy and commune with. Someone that you experience a sense of belonging with. Someone you experience a sense of intimacy with. Even if you're not an emotive kind of personality and you're more of a heady personality, <coughs> there's nothing wrong with either of that. Or if you're less an intellectual or heady personality, you're sort of a mind personality, but you're more of the emotional or emotive personality. Either way, he's saying you can all participate in the life of God because of his promises. Church, God is something more than just someone we come and learn about and work out and worship in church. And I hear people say all the time, if I could just get them to church. No, don't get them to church. Get them to Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, then in time they will find their way to the church. Because here he's not saying you get all this through the church. He says you get all this because God has poured it into you through his Holy Spirit who lives in you. And everything you need to live the life he's called you to live is inside of you. And that changes Christianity. That's what makes Christianity so different from every other world religion. Is we can share in the life of our God. And we can do it simply because he's given himself to us. It's beautiful. It's grace. It's a gift. That's good news. And this world needs good news. So verse 5. He says, for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection or sisterly affection or if you want a more accurate translation, family affection, and family affection with love. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge or the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his and her past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom, kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will be richly supplied to you. Verse 5 again, look at the text, please. For this very reason, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. For this very reason, what very reason? See, what we often do is we go to work immediately, don't we? We're always looking for something practical in a sermon, and we're always looking for the practical stuff in the book, and that's just how we, that's how we roll, that's how we track, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but the problem with that in Christianity is we only can live a certain way because something first has been done. So he's saying because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, because you now realize that you can live the life that God has called you to live, because you have everything you need to live that way, for that reason, because you already know you're going to heaven because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you're not going to earn your way there, because you already know you're accepted in God, in Christ, because of what he's already done on the cross, and you're not going to make yourself accepted there, because of the gospel, do something with that. Now make effort. Make effort to grow in your faith. Try practice, work, all the words we don't like to say in a sermon because it sounds like legalism or works righteousness. But the key to this is the first part of the text. If you start at verse 5, you find yourself a legalist. If you start at verse 5, you find the Christian journey to be a burdensome task because we're always then trying to work our way to God and make ourselves acceptable before God. So if you start at verse 5, which is where Christians often track, is we begin trying to please God. And what we have to realize is God's already pleased with us because of what Christ has done. And what he wants us to do is live into that reality and bring him glory. So because God has already done everything he needed to do for you, now do something with those promises. Live in response to that. See, it's not right for a Christian to just go to church. It's not right for a Christian to just say some prayers. It's not right for a Christian to just simply relish and just, just simply relish in being saved and do nothing with their lives. That's not discipleship. And we've talked about that and probably kicked that horse until we, we can't kick it anymore. But the reality of it is that Peter's trying to make the point. And since you already have been saved and since you've been given everything you need, what I need you to do now is I need you to supplement your faith. I need you to, to work. I need you to make efforts to grow in this grace that has been given to you now. And that's what it's about. It's about growing in what God has already done for you. You have been given it. If I gave you $10, which I will not, but if I did, you own $10. It's yours, and you can walk out of here going, I got 10, I went to church, and I came out with $10. Came in with nothing, walked out with a 10. And you can own the $10, and your, your net worth will go up $10. But you will never experience the beauty of that $10 until you spend it. Until you figure out what you're going to spend it on, and then you make use of the $10. God has given us salvation. And he says, now, for you to experience it, 
you're going to have to make some effort. You're going to have to grow. You've got to choose to grow. The difference is we never run out of salvation. You spend that $10, you're out. You don't spend God. That's exactly my understanding how I see the text. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with family affection. Family affection with love. It just builds. You have been made good because of what Christ has done. Now go be good. And yes, it's going to be hard to be good. Especially the people who don't deserve good. But remember that we were not good and God was good to us. He says, so go be good. And yes... You know, you, you, you need to experience God, and you want to experience God. And what, what happens a lot of times is Christians hear all these messages, and they, they don't feel God in their life or see God do what they want God to do or experience God in a way that they want to experience God. And so they just make their own decisions to go do their own thing and call the whole thing about Christianity a farce. And what this is saying is that really experiencing God requires you to make some sense of effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. And so he says, I want you to add knowledge, then I want you to add experience. I want you to make yourself available to God in your life. Obey him, love your neighbor. And look at what he says in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. I didn't just go to that Bible study and think it was great. Now I'll go to another one. I didn't just serve my neighbor at that church-organized programmatic event and think it was great and not do it with my family on a random Tuesday. Increasing, meaning I'm building on it in my life. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, if they're mine and are increasing, then I will... Not be useless and unfruitful. I mean, that is strong language. Like, Danny, if you would um, do something with your faith, you wouldn't be so useless, brother. And that's how it sounds, right? Like, thanks, Peter. But so many Christians feel as though they're unfruitful in their life. We feel as though, like, we're just unfruitful, and some of us even feel useless. And so here's the hard question. Then are you making effort in your faith? Are you first realizing what God has done for you? You're not going to earn your way to God. You're not going to make yourself right with God. God's not going to love you more because you're good. He loves you because of Jesus, and he loves you personally and intimately because you're made in his image. And he's changing you and giving you himself, living inside of you through his spirit. That's done. So are you living in response to that? Not trying to make that happen, but living in response to it. If you're not, then there's, a, then there's a reason why you might feel useless and unfruitful. Because you may not be making every effort to increase in your faith, to grow. And it's not going to happen just when you want it to. It requires intentionality. This is what Peter is saying. This is a life of intentionality. This is a life of following Jesus. We're not going to experience God if all we ever do is just come to church. You're not going to experience Him in your life. You're not. You're going to get great worship, maybe. You know, have some great conversations. Maybe the you know communion will mean something. But the truth of this text is that the experience of God doesn't just come from church attendance. I've had people, even in the last 14 months of this church, say, "Man, you're, you you know." I had one person even say, "I really don't like, you know like what you have to say about church." understand, I don't like what I have to say about church half the time. 
Because it steps on mine and my family's toes too. But the reality is, you don't become a Christian just by going to church no more. You become an automobile by living in a garage. You just don't, you, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't. And you know, don't come here to get fed. Because I'm not a good cook. You may get fed while you're here. But learn how to feed yourself. That's why the Bible uses metaphors like babes in Christ and maturity. It uses those metaphors. Because as we mature, when Ian was born, the kid couldn't do a thing. We all know this. And then when he finally learned how to eat spaghetti, his life changed. His birthday dinner last night, for his birthday party, spaghetti. On his birthday, which was Thursday, you know where he wanted to go? Firehouse. Because he loves pickles. If I were to look at Ian, my three-year-old son, and say, now there was a day when you couldn't eat a pickle, he would probably cry. But he couldn't. We had to feed him. But as he's grown, he learns how to eat. We have to help him. We do. You know, we have to say, put it in your mouth. Don't chew, don't chew all that. We, we have to do that. But then there's going to come a day where he's going to have to do that for someone else. That's the metaphor for the Christian life. It's about growing, not about attending, because it's about following, not about being a fan. It's about imitating, not being intrigued. That's Christianity. And for those of you who think Christianity is boring, or think it doesn't make sense, for those of us who think that, then there's just a really good chance we're not experiencing God in our life, and there's a really good chance as the reason we're not experiencing God in our life is simply because we're not obeying Him. We're not trusting Him. We're not making effort to grow inside of Him. And so, yes, we'll become unfruitful. And so it says... And here's the worst part, perhaps. Verse 9. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted. And has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. The person who lacks these things. And here's how I think it translates. The person who doesn't seek to grow in their faith doesn't get it. And they will see life and live in life as though they do not get it. When I was in high school, I was a mascot for a ball team. I was a polecat, which is just a big skunk, which is where I developed my, developed my hatred for little children because they constantly pulled my fluffy tail and hit me, and I could do nothing about it legally. Nothing. But when I wasn't playing the polecat, I was the assistant manager for the concessions for the ball team. I was not nearly as good as Tammy. And one day they were burning the popcorn because that's what people do. And they were burning the popcorn. The beloved popcorn of the ballpark was just being, it was being fried. You could smell it from, from 100 yards away. And so I tracked it because, you know, I was a polecat. I tracked it to the concession stand and noticed that the popcorn was burning. And so I opened up the door ignorantly and the smoke came and, I mean, just, it just enveloped me and it ruined my eyesight. 
So I became nearsighted in one eye and farsighted in the other. My world was jacked up. Right, you know, like farsighted in one eye, nearsighted in the other eye. It was just a mess, and I had to wear glasses for about two years to correct my sight. Being short-sighted was very intriguing because all I could see was right in front of me. I couldn't see beyond what was immediately in front. Peter's saying that those who do not make effort to grow in their faith become nearsighted. They can't see the eternal because all they see is the present. They can't see the sovereignty of God because all they see is what God did for me today or didn't do for me today. They can't see heaven because all they can see is earth. They can't see what is eternal because all they're focused on is what is temporary. So life in Christ is a constant roller coaster. And the emotional life and the spiritual life is a, com- is a constant roller coaster. And it's a constant roller coaster because there are Christians, there are those of us who are nearsighted. And we're nearsighted because we somehow have grown to believe that we're going to grow in our faith by going to church. And that's a tragedy. And it's a tragedy because of verse 3. See, if you're feeling kind of guilty or convicted, have peace because of verse 3. Because here's the good news. The ability to be different, the ability to have 20-20 vision, the ability to grow in your experience of God in your life has been deposited in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to know what he does. You don't have to really know well who he is. You just need to know that he lives in you and pay attention when he convicts your heart. You will feel that. You will know that. And obey God. Obey him. Listen to him, trust him, and obey him. There's nothing better than him. Nothing. I mean, my wife is fantastic. My boy is fantastic. I can't imagine my life without either of them. But they can't give me what God can. And I can't give them what God can. And that's Peter's point. He says, if you can develop 20-20 vision then you will experience God in your life. And if you want to develop 20-20 vision, then make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort to add to your faith. I'm in a really strange position in my heart. I just want to confess this to you. And and give me some grace, because I don't really know how to articulate this. It would be easy to think that I believe in church or that I believe in what we do, whether it's a Trent Monk concert or a ladies' Bible study or small groups or life connection groups or serving in children's ministry. It would be real easy to think that I believe so much in that simply because I do what I do for a living. But the fact of the matter is, I haven't always done this. 
I believe in what I believe in because I've seen how it changes lives when people are involved in community. I've seen how it changes people's lives when they see this as more than just being involved in church and they see this as being involved with a family of faith that is very imperfect and that lets one another down, but they're committed to life together. Yes, it adds to our calendars. It does. Ian's birthday party was this weekend, and I, being the wise, all-knowing husband, told Trent and his wife they could stay with us on Ian's birthday party weekend, but my good and gracious wife did not make me sleep on the couch and did not kick me in the knees because I completely overextended our weekend, but we were blessed by them, and they kept to themselves. I mean, they're musicians. They woke up at noon. We didn't see them forever. Uh, they came in late, went to bed early. It's like having teenagers. I'll tell Trent that. Hopefully he doesn't listen to the podcast. Christianity adds to our lives, and that's the point. You get that? Church adds to our lives, and that's the point. Now, when that presses into your kids' baseball, when that presses into your work commitments, that's where Christianity gets real because that's when we're trying to decide how we're going to live our lives and what we're living our lives for. You don't quit your job, and baseball's not the enemy. And I know pastors say that sometimes. Give, give us all guilt trips over this stuff. I get all that. But the truth of it is, is there's a tension that we got to learn to live in. And it's just the truth. We learn to live in the tension of family and life in the world and wife in the kingdom of God. And there, as a result of that tension, you're going to have to choose what is more important than the other at times. Because not all things are of equal importance. If my kid goes to Harvard but he doesn't go to heaven, I've got a problem. And that's the world. Now, if you're feeling guilty and you're feeling convicted, here's the good news. Verse 3. Verse 3 is the good news. You have the power of God within you to make it happen. My question to you is, do you lay it before Him? Or do you hold on to it? Have you grown nearsighted? Or have you even grown farsighted? Or do you have 20-20 vision? That's the question. So now, we as a church could be very content to just throw good church services. And one might even argue whether or not we do that. You got a so-so preacher and a worship leader with an iPad. I just, <laughs> I am so unbiblically jealous, aren't I? <clears throat> I mean, Dave Faith has an iPad for crying out loud. I know! That's where my jealousy is rooted. <laughs> Go home and eat a bucket of banana pudding, I'll be fine. We could grow content with just focusing everything on the church event and making sure that the sermon is neatly polished and making sure the worship music never, ever misses a note and, and making sure the technical stuff works well and making sure you're comfortable in these chairs and the carpet looks pretty and that we have fantastic coffee, which I think we do, and, and then we, you know, we have the sound perfect and, and everything is great and, and you could be very thrilled and we could fill a room and we could get excited because the church is growing and we are growing a lot and, and you know, we could see all these things and we could feel good about what's happening here and and. And two hours a week is the deal. We could do that. Life would be easier. But that's not Christianity, and that's not the kingdom of God, and that's not faith community. 
And so we can't do that. And so we have a vision as a church, and we feel like it's a vision God has given us, and it's about discipleship, is we're going to be a church who is joined in God's pursuit of restoring lives. What that requires is you and me as everyday people living in our everyday places, learning how to love and join God in mission in everyday ways, and not just through programs and not just through the church. If you're visiting today, or if you've been coming to this church for a while, and you're looking for a church of just fantastic programs, we're not going to be the church. We're going to do programs, and we're going to have programs, but we're not going to be programmatic and we're not going to be program-centric. We're not going to wait to program outreach so you can do outreach. That's not how Christianity works. We're going to call you to reaching out to your neighbor every day in everyday places as everyday people because that's what we're going to do because that's what it means to follow Jesus. I don't know what else to say except for this. We could say that and expect it to happen without any intentionality, but that's not biblical either. So as a church, we have what's called a ministry process, or a process of ministry. And it comes from Matthew chapter 22. We figure that as a church, as a family community, the Bible has made it very clear that if we're going to have deep faith, if we're going to have disciples, then we've got to be disciples who make disciples. It's not just going to happen organically, sort of like just naturally, even though it will to a large degree if we're together, but we're going to have to place some intentionality in this discipleship. And so in order to do that, we've developed what's called a ministry process. And it's rooted in Matthew 22 in the, great, in the greatest commands. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? He said, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so we have a process of ministry, a ministry process. One is about loving God, one is about loving people, and one is about following Jesus. Here's how it works. It's about environments. It's about environments. When we come in here, we have an environment. Either we're a stuffy environment or we're a welcoming environment. Environments happen when people get together. And environments happen when you plan what's going to happen in that environment. The reason this is a church service is because we planned it to be so. And that creates a worshipful environment or a place where God becomes very centric to our gathering. And so what we have here is our attempt to create three different types of environments in our church. One that is a love God environment, one that is a love people environment, and one that is a follow Jesus environment. Now, the environments could be all mixed in one, in one event. They could all mix in in one event. In other words, one event could be all about loving God, and that's the central point of that event. That would be a Bible study. Maybe you go to that. That would be a Bible study because it's about communion. It's about an environment. What, when we ask, okay, what's the central, most important thing that's going to happen in that gathering? Well, we want people to grow in their spiritual relationship with God. We want them to be formed spiritually. Then that becomes a love God environment. And so our worship gatherings happen. Our intensive Bible studies happen. Our other Bible study gatherings, children's ministry, LCE, student ministry. Our prayer gatherings happen. That's why we do concerts of prayer, not because we want more events but because we need as a church family to create environments that draw us to God so that when you leave, you will be drawn closer to God and have your own concerts of prayer. So this becomes a ministry. This becomes a process of ministry. This is kind of how we do ministry. We actually have intentionality with how we decide to do ministry here. We don't just do it because it's something we need to do. We try and ask, will it accomplish what we hope it accomplishes? Because if it doesn't, we just won't do it. 
Jesus said love God is very important. Then are we doing things that draw people into a deeper love of God so that they will leave this place and go love God as everyday people in everyday places and in everyday ways? And so we have events that are about this. We have a love people environment. And it's an environment where we're trying to culture and nurture and cultivate a deeper love for one another, a place of belonging for anybody. And so we plan events. You call it fellowship. I call it fellowship. I think Jesus might call it a love people thing. Are you doing things that fosters a deeper love for people? And so we have LCE again. Because it's our women's ministry, and they're, they're trying to move towards creating an environment where women can grow in their faith and loving God, and women can grow in their faith of loving one another. And not just being women who do all the service work for the church. Because the men need to step up. We need to step up as a church. But we need to have women who have deeper relationships with God and one another, and so we as a church need to create an opportunity for that to happen. So that maybe Kathy will spend some time with Susie randomly for lunch because they love each other and know each other. Maybe because Penny and Jamie can go spend each other some time and, you know, for dinner and have families over the house. See, then it becomes an everyday people in everyday ways and everyday places kind of thing. And so we have fellowship meals. We have trip monk concerts. We have church planned fellowship activities like a fall cook-off. We have places for people to serve because that's how you demonstrate your love for God. Ask Diane, Dave, and Tammy. I mean, they're here, you know, an hour before church service gathers, and they're here for two services because they love God, yes, and they love you. And that's why we do these things. You want to grow in your love for people? Then get involved. You want to grow in your love for God? Get involved. But realize adding to your faith doesn't just happen in a church event. It happens when you take what you experience there into your everyday life. It's about community. I just want to confess something with you, if you'll let me. Over the last 14 months, I've heard from people, man, I wish we did more things together. We we just need to do more things. So over the last 14 months, we've been trying to do more things. We had a chili cook-off. We had a discipleship retreat weekend. Would have been a great environment for you to grow in your love for God and a love for one another. We had this concert that was just really, it was amazing. If you went, you know it was amazing. And sometimes we barely have folks show up. So hopefully by this time, you know that I'm not just trying to encourage us to have good numbers. Somebody asked me, how many people we have at the concert? I don't know. I'm not counting that stuff. I used to a lot, ask Allison. It's about getting us together. I want you to know Danny Poe. Because he's my brother and he's a great man. I want you to know Brian Smith. Because he's my brother and he's a great man. He loves his family. You need to know him. He even plays piano. But you can't if you're not there. That's the truth. But that's community. Now, we could, we could act like that's not what church is about, and I could never say anything about that from the pulpit because it might sound a lot of different ways to you, but that's not what being a family is about. Being a family is about being honest and saying, I want you there. I want to know you. I want you to know God. 
I want you to know him every day. We got to be together. And then there's the follow Jesus. And that's about commission. That's about doing something with the love people and love God experiences. This is an environment we try to create that move people into serving together as a community of faith, serving our city. This is what you may call or I may call outreach. The interesting thing about outreach is Jesus never dichotomized it that way. Outreach and service, sharing your faith with your lips and sharing your faith with your lives is just called Christianity. It's not one or the other. Demonstrating the gospel is to declare the gospel. To declare the gospel is to demonstrate the gospel. They're not to be split. This is where extravaganza comes into play. This is where Grove Christian Outreach comes into play. Mission trips or life connection groups, children's ministry, student ministry. And you're going to notice when you, when you look at these, these three circles, go to the next slide. If you find yourselves living and experiencing some parts of this environment, then what you will find is you are growing into a disciple. Because Jesus said, love God and love people, everything hangs on those two things. So if you're the kind of person that all you ever do is go to a Bible study, but you don't know anybody in this church, then you're going to struggle to really grow in your faith fully because you don't know anybody in your church family. Praying for people and knowing their concerns and knowing their lives. If you're the kind of person where all you ever do is go to the fellowship meals or go to the fun things because the, the Bible studies or the, the church services are boring because the preacher has been long-winded the last four weeks, then, and, and he has, and, and, and then, then you're, gonna, you're not going to grow the way you could grow in your faith. Or if you go to the church services and you go to the fellowship meals because Norbert Gammer can cook because the woman can cook, then, and you want to go to those, those, those fellowship meals and eat her food, and particularly her banana pudding, and, and that's what you do, and then you come to the Bible studies because that's kind of how you were raised and you go to church, but we can't get you to go to Grove with us. We can't get you to buy one and give, you know, buy two and give one away. We, we can't move you. We can't encourage you to join us together in God's pursuit of restoring lives and reaching those who don't know Jesus and don't, who don't even see Jesus. Then, then you're not growing the way you could really grow. And that's the point. That's the point of Peter. Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and then goodness, knowledge, and then knowledge, self-control, and self-control, brotherly love, or family affection, and family affection, love. Because then when you make this effort, and these are yours, and they're increasing, you will not be short-sighted. When life hits you between the eyes and tragedy strikes, you will be broken and your heart will be crushed and you will be hurting, but you will not leave God because you are not short-sighted in your life. That is how you meet Christians who have experienced tragedy and they're still as passionate about Jesus today as they were 20 years ago may be more passionate about him now. It's not because they don't have more questions for him. Right, George? They have a ton of questions for him. But they've experienced him. And they realize there's nothing better than him. Those are not short-sighted people. See, this isn't about church stuff today. It's not about church attendance. It's about following Jesus. And this is my best effort at trying to call our attention to that. Just trying to piggyback on what Peter is saying. The world needs people. 
who will share with them good news. The world needs people who are experiencing for themselves what they're sharing, the good news. The world needs people who are demonstrating the benefits of the good news. And God knows what the world needs. And so God gave the world the church. And he filled each member of his church with his Holy Spirit to do the work. You have everything you need to live the life God has called you to live. You have everything you need inside of you to manage the busyness and craziness of life. That does not mean it's going to be easy. It's going to be very hard. But because you're in a church family and faith community, it also means you're not going to be alone. That's what we as a Christian church, I think, are supposed to be about. That's who we are. That's who we have to grow into being. Let's pray.